This is obviously the Sunday when we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. We do it every year pretty much to start off the year. Baptism in the first century, in first century Judaism, was a kind of a conversion rite. A Gentile who was converting to Judaism would be baptized. They would, they would do three things. Uh, they would be circumcised, they would make sacrifice, and they would be baptized with water, which was a symbolic washing away of their sins. When Mark tells this of Jesus' baptism by John, he, um, he says the whole countryside of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem came out to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it, it, I, I'm going to guess he was being kind of hyperbolic in his language. The whole countryside and all the people. But it, it seems like it is a, a, a significant number of people are coming out. And you might ask yourself, now this is the kind of thing scholars ask themselves and, and books are written about. 99% of that area was probably Jewish to begin with. So if baptism is for those converting to Judaism, why are these people coming out to be converted to Judaism? Why are Jews being converted to Judaism? It doesn't make sense. So why are they coming out? I would maintain um, that, that what's going on is a dissatisfaction with, with religion as it is. Um, the temple religion, the rites and rituals, the doctrines are not meaningful, are not meeting people's hopes and dreams for who they are. Um, we, this goes on all the time. It, it's going on today that people are leaving the churches in which they were reared looking for something else. You know, people leave the Methodist church looking for something else. People leave Christianity looking for something else that gives them hope and meaning and fills their lives. And I think that's what's going on here, that people are coming out to John in the wilderness looking for a new life, a new start, new meaning. Now Mark says that John, you know, people were going out for the confession of sins and the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That sounds so heavy, doesn't it? I mean, those are fear words, you know, confess, repent. You know, when a preacher talks that way, you usually expect the preacher to be shaking his or her finger in your face. Repent! Repent, you know, confess your sins. I wonder, however, if the fear here is not so much a fear of God as it is a fear of self. I fear myself for sometimes the dark moods that come over me and I just become surly. I fear myself for the anger or temper that comes over me. I fear myself for the jealousy or envy or judgmentalism that come over me. And I just wonder if people are coming out saying, I'm not who I should be. 
I am making a mess of my life. I need to turn it around. I need help. Augustine, in one of his writings, refers to somebody as, you run well, but you run off the track. I love that image. You run well, but you run off the track. Suppose you're driving from Columbus to Cincinnati. And there are other people in the car and you know, you're, the road is clear and you're, you're going down 71 and you're making really good time and you're having a good time talking to the people in the car. And you know, and you look at the, at the odometer and you think, my gosh, we are really moving this along. We should get to Cincinnati in less than an hour and a half. We're really going well. And you know, you look up and you see a sign that says, Mansfield, 10 miles. <laughs> you're running well, but you're off the track. So what do you do? You say, well, I'm going to keep running well and we're going to get to Cleveland pretty soon? No. You know, you stop. You confess, I'm on the wrong road. And you turn around. You get off and turn around. You confess. I'm not getting this right, and you repent. You turn 180 degrees, which is what repentance is. We do this a lot in 12-step programs, in self-help programs, you know. In AA, your first meeting, you know, you confess. You stand up. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. And then you work to turn your life around for a day-by-day -day movement into sobriety. Some of you might have seen the, it seems like it's on all the time, it's a Geico commercial of emperor penguins going to the North Pole or wherever they go to, uh, to lay their eggs. And two are walking alone and one says to the other, the GPS says we're going the wrong way. And the other says, well, we're going to keep going this way. To turn around, it's 97 days and it's too long. I think, well, you're never going to get where you're going to go unless you admit you're wrong and go back 97 days to the right place. It seems in so much of life, we are advised to confess and repent. Because that's the way to get on the right path. But in religion, it's made to sound so heavy and anti-human. And I would argue that John and Jesus were the ones that initiated this notion of get on the right path. Turn around. Now, confession... And repentance are not the same thing. They're close, but they're not the same thing. My mother, who had a lot of wise sayings, um, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but you might like this. Um, 
mom would look at a couple that struck her as mismatched. And she would say, no matter how crooked the pot, there's always a lid to fit it. <laughs> For the purposes of this sermon, mom would say, admitting a vice doesn't make it a virtue. Admitting a vice, confession, doesn't make it a virtue. You know, I've got a bad temper. But I can admit that. So what? I'm not doing anything about it. I might procrastinate a lot to Susan's frustration. But just to say I, I procrastinate, and I know, I've seen partners going like this, doesn't mean anything. Because I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not turning around. So confession, by itself, it's good to acknowledge where I need to change. But unless I change, nothing happens. And that's the repentance part. For Lit Club, we, for January, we, we've re we are reading. It's a 700-page book. 727 pages, to be exact. Um, book called The Knicks, which I really liked. And it's about a, a, a person in his, his 40s who's trying to figure out his life. He's, he's lost his way. Um, he's trying to figure out the meaning and the purpose of his life. And toward the end of the book, as he's reflecting on his life, he realizes that so much of his life has been driven by anger. He's angry at his mother for leaving him or for abandoning him. He's angry at, at a woman um, for not responding positively to his overtures of love. He's angry at his students at the university for being, according to him, so shallow and dim-witted. And he says, you know, my angry anger was easy. It's easy being angry. It doesn't take any effort. It's lazy. And he says people can fall into, as we do our relationships, can fall into one of four categories. People can be my enemy. They can be a puzzle. They can be a trap. Or they can be a mystery. And he decides to quit being angry and seeing people as enemies and traps and to see them as a mystery. And he says, that takes more effort. I have to work at understanding. I have to take the time to understand. And he says, but while it's harder, my life has expanded. And I feel less lonely. And I feel more connected. He's moving from complacency to intentionality. And that's what confession and repentance do. We live intentionally. Now when I think about living intentionally and turning around, it's almost impossible to do it by ourselves. We need help. In AA, 
a person gets a sponsor that will help her. In the religious life, we might go to the pastor. We might go to the prayer team. We might go to the spiritual, a spiritual director to help us. In other cases, we might seek a mentor. But we look for somebody that will support us and guide us, that we can turn to when we start to have doubts and we start to wonder if we're on the right path. This is now where Jesus comes in. Why was Jesus baptized? What sins was he confessing? Why was Jesus there? I think Jesus went into the water to be baptized to identify with everybody else who was being baptized. He's saying, I'm in the water with you. I'm in this with you. I am here to support you in your new life. I am here to support you in your new birth. I am here to support you in your new journey and your new beginning. And when I think about Jesus' baptism, there were lots of people in the water. There were lots of sins being symbolically washed off. That water was dirty. And I think Jesus really was taking those sins upon him. Baptism is a very individual thing. When we're baptized, it's, it's us. But baptism is also a very communal thing because we're all in that dirty water together. And nobody's any better than anybody else. And we're all in need of a new start. And Jesus is in there with us. This week, one of you told me the story of your coming out. He came out, this person came out when he was 29. He'd been dating a, another man and the relationship went south. I mean, the person didn't move to Georgia. The relationship went downhill. And um, this individual went into a depression, really started to have doubts about his life, pretty much stopped eating when he was losing weight, and knew that he had to come out, in a sense, confess. And he um, decided to tell his mother that he was gay. He needed to tell his parents in order to get a new start as for who he was. And he told his mother, and his mother received him. And then she said, are you going to tell your dad? And he said, I'm not sure. And she said, I think you need to tell your dad. And he thought that this would be, for his dad, a confession of sin. 
So he went to his dad, and he told his dad, and he said, I'll never forget the look of relief on my dad's face. And he said, my dad just sighed and said, I was so afraid you were going to tell me you were HIV positive. His dad seemed to know all along that he was gay. And he said, you know, I sold my father short. I didn't think my father would understand. I didn't think my father would care. And he did. And dad said to me, you are my son. I love you. This is hard right now. But believe me, you will find somebody else. And you will fall in love again. At that moment, he heard what Jesus heard. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's what baptism is. Baptism is the gift of water. It's identifying who we are. It's turning around for a new start and a new beginning. And it's hearing those words. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. This Sunday, as we do every time this year, we will reaffirm our baptisms. Now, my guess is that almost all of you were baptized, all of us were baptized as infants. And you're going to say, well, I don't remember my baptism. No, you don't. But that doesn't make it any less significant. There are lots of things that are important in my life that I don't remember. I don't remember my parents falling in love. I don't remember them getting married. I don't remember my conception. That doesn't make my life any less important or real. I wasn't around when the elementary school and the high school and the college that I attended were built. Doesn't make them any less real. What it makes me realize is all of that is a gift that I did nothing to earn. It's all by grace. I don't remember my baptism, but I remember that I am baptized. I am remembered that. God says to me, you are my beloved child. I remember that God offers me a new start. And God offers me a new start every day. You know, we do this one Sunday a year, but we can do it every day. We're in water a lot. We wash our hands. 
Remember that you are baptized. We do the dishes. Remember that you are baptized. We, we take a shower. Remember that you are baptized. We're out in the rain. Remember that you are baptized. It's a gift. It's who we are. And it's what God wants us to be. You are my beloved son, and you are my beloved daughter. May it be so. Amen.